0: This is an exciting time to be part of the Brian family. I think. I think God is up to some big things. Now I'm a little bit biased. Um, there's probably been lots of exciting times to be part of the Brian family, but this one matters to me the most. <laughs> so uh, this this is really is exciting time to be part of this family. We we are in a series right now called "Who is Jesus and Why Does It Matter." Um, I want I want to start. Uh, As part of this family, which is kind of reorienting ourselves or orienting ourselves to the feet of Jesus, I believe that God is going to use this body of believers to do great things in Mansfield and beyond. I believe that that we're going to see people coming to Christ. We're going to be in a couple weeks. We have eight people right now that are going to be baptized. I think that's going to be a norm here. Uh, We're going to see lots of folks. Uh, coming and putting their faith in Christ and and following Him in obedience, and we're going to have discipleship opportunities. All those things are great, and and I and I, I'm looking forward to it. But I, I think we need to take a look inside of what's going on in our hearts um, to kind of to provide for us the uh, uh, the the baseline from where we're going to be going from here. And in order to do so, we're doing this uh, Who is Jesus and Why Does It Matter series, looking at the seven I Am statements Jesus made in the Gospel of John. Uh, We began it with the first, uh, I am the bread of life. And if you remember, very simple application that hopefully we can remember, and that is this, Christ is enough. Christ is enough no matter what's going on in your lives. Whether you're having the best season of life you've ever had or the worst season of life you've ever had, Christ is enough. If you've been diagnosed with a terminal disease, Christ is enough. If you've been laid off from your job, Christ is enough. If you're having a struggle, if you're struggling in your relationships, Christ is enough. Say it a lot, why? Because Christ is enough, and we need to commit that to, not just in our memory, but it needs to flow into our heart. Last week the the I Am statement was I am the light of the world and our big takeaway there was the force of light is greater than the force of darkness. Where there is darkness and when the light comes in, the darkness has to run and hide. The force of light is greater than that of darkness. And today, our our text is in John chapter 10, if you want to start turning there. The I am statement that we're going to be focused, there's two I am statements in John 10, right around the same text, is I am the good shepherd, which will be next week, but this week is I am the door to the sheep. And before we get there, I'd like to open us in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father God, I just want to thank you for the opportunities that you've given us the opportunity that you've given us as followers of you to take a step closer to you, to, to take those things that we've committed to memory and let them flow down into our hearts so they can inform the way we live our lives, inform the way we read your word, and inform the way we interact with those people you've put us around. God, I just thank you for that. And God, I just pray for anybody in this room that doesn't have a relationship with you or maybe somebody who's going to be watching later on this week online. God, I pray those people who don't have a relationship with you, the power of your Holy Spirit will intervene. And you, God the Father, will remove the blinders from their eyes so that they can see clearly, clearly that Jesus is the door. He is the way to have a relationship with you. And God, we just thank you for our time. May your Spirit speak in and through me. And guide us into all understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, John chapter 10, starting in verse number seven. We're just going to read the first or three verses there. I guess three or four. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, in our text here, Jesus is painting a picture. He, he's, he, when he says, I am the door of the sheep, it should, it should conjure up some images in our head. Jesus does this pretty frequently when he's teaching. The problem for us is we live some 2,000 years later, and when we hear words like, I am the door of the sheep, it may not conjure up the same image as it would have for the original audience. So on the screen here, you're going to see this enclosure, and inside this enclosure are the sheep. Well, at the gate is the shepherd who has made himself the gate for the sheep. So when Jesus says, I am the door to the sheep, he's essentially wants this image to be popping up in our heads. And that's the image that would have been coming to the heads of all of the original audience. The shepherd would sometimes make himself the gate lying in front so the sheep could not come in or go out without passing him so that he could protect the sheep that are inside Some sheep would not be allowed in to go past the shepherd. You see, they'd be out in pasture all day and there'd be several flocks sometimes in a similar area of sheep. And when he would call his sheep in or he'd drive them back into the enclosure for nighttime so they could be safe, he would be making sure one by one that all the sheep that enter that enclosure are his sheep. You see, he doesn't want other sheep to come in there that might uh, have some sort of disease that could spread in his animals, or or bringing in genetics that he doesn't want to be part of his flock. So he would stand in that gate and make sure all the sheep coming and going through that gate were his. He would also be able to, with his staff, stop them as they were either leaving or coming in, probably as they were going back out to pasture, to see and to check over their physical well-being. Are they sick? Is there some sort of injury? Is there something he needs to do? And as he would do that, if there was any kind of illness or infestation of bugs, he would anoint them with some oil. And then he would let them go and he would stop the next one, so on and so forth. This is what the door of the sheep, the shepherd at the door of the sheep would be doing as they were coming and going. And again, this is the image that should be coming to our heads. He keeps the flock this enclosure with the sh- with the shepherd as as the gate. It keeps the flock safe at night, safe from the predators, safe from those who would come and steal from the flock. And it allows the flock back out for pasture during daylight hours. So it gives both protection, but it also gives the nourishment as he let them go back out for protection. This is again the mental image that we should be coming uh, should come to our head when Jesus makes these I am statements. Make sense? That's enough sheep lessons for right now. Uh, We can move on to our first point from our text, and that is this. There is only one door that leads to salvation. There is only one door that leads to salvation. And I understand that many of you have been studying the Bible for decades, and you might be thinking right now, yeah. But I think this is a message and a lesson that we need to not just know, we need to feel and we need to experience and needs to be part of our lives and inform the way we live. In order for, do, for us to do that, we need to keep coming back to it, to remind ourselves that there is only one way, there is only one door to heaven and to salvation. We live in a time and a culture where people think truth is relative, that what's true for me can be true and what true for, what's true for you, even though it's different, can also be true. Can I tell you with, with as, gen, as, as gently as I possibly can, that is nonsense. It's nonsense. Listen, if truth is truth, it stands on its own. It doesn't depend upon those who are hearing. What is true does not depend on whether or not I believe it. It still remains to be true. And if you believe something else that's different, one of us is wrong. This whole idea that truth is relative is nonsense and it doesn't stand up to logic and logical thought. And it certainly doesn't stand up to what the Bible teaches. There is only one door that leads to salvation. There are not many doors that lead to salvation. We believe that truth is relative and we believe oftentimes that, you know what, that I just need to be a good enough person. I've got bad news, friends. Listen, we were born into a sin nature. Phil was talking about junior hires. Man, if you want to go do an all-nighter, they'll prove it to you. You don't have to wait for them to get into junior high. Go serve in the nursery and preschool. No laughter. Okay. All right. Your kid, not your kids, though. Your kids are perfect little angels. Listen, I'm, I have four kids. It did not take me long to, to prove what the Bible had said about being born into this in nature. My kids proved it really quickly. Maybe yours took longer. Jesus is the only way. It's the only door that leads to salvation. John 10, 7 and 9 again says this, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. Listen again. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. Notice he says, if anyone entered by me, he says, I am the door. He says it twice. Jesus never once said, I am a door. Jesus never once implied that He is an option. He is the door. Singular. There's only one choice. There's only one door that leads us to salvation. This is a message that isn't isolated to the I Am statements or the Gospel of John. This is a message that's echoed throughout the New Testament. That there is only one door. Acts 2.21 And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved the Lord. Acts 4.12 And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among among, among men, sorry, that's easy for me to say, by which we must be saved. There is one name. There is one door. It's singular. We don't have several options of doors that would lead us to salvation. There is only one. Acts 16.31, and they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Or how about in Hebrews 9.28, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. John 3.16, many of us have memorized this verse when we were little kids. And John 3.16-17 and 17 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. We don't have options here. It's a singular message. It's a singular door that leads to salvation. In our salvation, we also find great freedom. You know, I I think it's almost counterintuitive. We see this enclosure with the sheep inside and it seems almost like, well, that must be some sort of prison. Listen, in the protection of God, there is great freedom. Great freedom. We actually have the freedom to not follow our our own path anymore. We have the freedom to be one of God's children. And it is a great freedom. Freedom. The text says we will go in and out and find pasture. Not only are we going in and out, but we're going through this door. We're going past this Good Shepherd who is taking care of us, making sure we have everything we all need. It makes me think of the 23rd Psalm and how God provides and protects for His children. There's great freedom in that. It's not slavery. In fact, we were once slaves to our sin. Outside of Christ, we have no choice but to sin. We're slaves to it. But when God removes those blinders from our eyes and we accept Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, we have freedom to not sin any longer. And the protection and the provision that comes from being one of His children. Through Jesus the door, we have access to the Father. Listen to Ephesians 2.18. For through Him, we both have access in one spirit, to the Father. We have no need for a mediator. We have no need for a go-between because Jesus is our mediator. We don't have to go to a priest and ask Him to pray for us so that God would hear our prayers. We can pray directly to God through the door of Jesus as He has given us access to the Father, of the, our Father God. I want you to think about that again. If you've been a Christian for for, for two minutes, for for eighty years, whatever, think about how incredible of a fact that it is that we have access to God the Father. Let me put it in perspective. How excited would you be if you were invited to the White House to meet the president? We would probably dress a certain way. We would talk a certain way. We'd be super excited. It would be a story that we would retell over and over and over again that we got to go to the White House. We got to walk into the President's office and meet the President. It would be incredible. But friends, that is nothing, that's nothing That's nothing in comparison. It's like crumbs off the table when you compare it to being in the presence of the Creator of this universe, the God of God, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. And that's the access that we have through the door of Christ. Jesus says, I am the door. Giving us access to God the Father. That's an incredible truth that needs to be, we need to remind ourselves on a regular basis. We are privileged children of God that have access through Jesus to God the Father. Through Jesus the door, we have peace with God. Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is is a verse that sometimes in our life it it has more, more weight to it than others. If you're lying on your deathbed, this is an important verse. Do I have peace with God? Because of my sin, I was once an enemy with God. But because I've walked through the door of Jesus, I can now have peace with God. Incredible. Next verse in Romans 5, 5 it says, Though through Him we have also obtained access by faith into His grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Friends, are we rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God? That Are we rejoicing in the fact that we've been given this grace? That though we are fallen sinners, God would see fit to send His Son to die a terrible death so that we could have access to him, so we could have a relationship with him, so that we could have hope through him. Let's let that sink, for, go from here to here. Let it sink in. These things are only available through Jesus, the door. There are no other doors that will work, there is no other way of salvation. But there are other doors from which we can choose. The next point is this all other doors lead to destruction. Jesus says, I am the door, and it's through that door that leads to salvation, the only door that leads to salvation. Every other door leads to destruction. John 10 8 again says, This all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. There have been, and there always will be, until Jesus returns, imposters. Imposters. Seeking to get you off of track. There is no friends. There is no hope in Buddha or other world religions. There is no hope in Islam. Millions and millions of people are willing to die for Islam, but there is no hope in Islam. And as a matter of fact, Muhammad was an illiterate pedophile. There is no hope there. there Hinduism cannot save you. Humanism would have you to believe that it's all about you and that we have it within ourselves, but it comes up short. It doesn't take long to examine our own hearts and our own lives and our own minds before if we're being honest, we realize that we come up short. And that's not, that's not having a bad self-image. That's having a correct self-image. While all these might seem obvious, To a Christian or Christian group, we battle against a very tricky enemy who seeks to just twist the Word of God just enough to convince people to take a step aside. I don't know what what, what it's like here so much, I'm just getting used to the area, but in Alaska, there is a ton of Mormons. This is a a case where the enemy has just twisted the Word of God enough to, to divert people. How about Jehovah Witness? What a great name. Witnesses of God. That's a great name, but it's false. It's a cult. It's wrong. It's a false door that leads to destruction. And many people have entered through those doors having been de- deceived. There are, religions, there are religions that would call themselves Christian religions. But they've changed who the Bible says Jesus is into who they want Jesus to be. Listen, Jesus isn't a, a genie that will provide for you every every grant you every wish that you ask for. This isn't a self-centered religion. This is a God-centered relationship that we are entering into. It's not about you and I. It's about him and his glory. But the enemy is tricky and will somehow make it make people think that really this is about you. And, they get, and he gets people off of track. There's only one door. And it's a narrow door. There are countless wrong choices and only one correct choice. Listen to Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter, it by, enter by it are many. Let stop there for a second. That's heartbreaking. That's heartbreaking that many people are being led astray, going through the wrong door, going through the wrong gate. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. As followers of Jesus Christ, as holders of the truth of God, we must not have an arrogant sense about us. At least twice, I think, in John 6, Jesus says the people know that He is the Son of God, not because they're so smart or discerning, but because God has shown it to them. Brothers and sisters, followers of Jesus, we didn't get to where we were at because we were so smart. We got here because God in His mercy had removed the blinders from our eyes, removed the scales from our eyes so that we could see clearly that Jesus is His Son. And it's through Him and only Him that we have access to God the Father. Now if you're in this room right now and you've yet to accept Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, I want to challenge you to earnestly and consistently pray that God the Father would show you His truths. Because I believe if you do that with sincerity, He will show you. And you will also see that Jesus is the Son of God and the only way to salvation. Pray, ask the Father to reveal it to you. Not only is is Jesus the door, the only door that leads to salvation, and and that all other doors would lead to destruction, but the door that leads to salvation is available to all. The door that leads to salvation is available to all. John 10 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Friends, this isn't just kind of good news. This is the best news. This is the best news that God would see fit to allow all of us the opportunity to walk through the door that is Christ. That is fantastic news. It means that every, if we have breath in our lungs, that we—if if we haven't yet accepted Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, we have the opportunity to do, to do so. It doesn't matter how good you've been, because you could never have been good enough. I can never be good enough outside of Christ. It doesn't matter what side of town you're from. It doesn't matter what country you're from or what language you speak. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter what your bank account says we all have the same opportunity to walk through the door that is Christ and step into salvation. Even if you've lived a life that's been so far from God and now you're lying on your deathbed, because of God's great mercy and because of His sacrifice, there's still an opportunity to accept Him to be your Lord and Savior. This is the information, this is the truth of the Gospel that we as followers of Jesus have have, and we've accepted But I wonder sometimes if it's not trickled down into our hearts and we we believe it new in a fresh way. Second Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This text is referring to the second coming of Jesus, when He's going to be calling His saints home. Listen to it again. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Christ came to save the world, to give us that opportunity to step through that door to salvation. He wants a relationship with you, He wants a relationship with me, despite me, despite what was in my heart. Despite the fact that I was a slave to sin, He wanted to have a relationship with me, and He wants to have a relationship with you. But He also wants to have a relationship with your family, with your friends, and with your coworkers. Even that one coworker—you know who I'm talking about. You all have the coworker, or maybe that weird cousin. They just—you just, you just can't—you just can't stand to kind of be around, right? I've heard the term used here. By a couple people that I won't say who they were of extra grace required. I'd never heard that before. Then I realized they were talking about me, and I was a little offended. <laughs> but right there, there are personalities that just require a little bit extra grace. But friends, they're worth it. These are people that Jesus, that God sent His Son to die for. That God sent His Son to die for. And we have this information. We have this relationship. But for whatever the reason, sometime maybe since we've accepted Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, we've allowed it to kind of dry in our own walk. I remember like yesterday when I recommitted my life to Christ, everybody I knew needed to hear it. Why? Because I was lost and now I was found. I had this this story I had to tell. I knew what it felt like. It wasn't very long ago, I knew very very well what it felt like to be outside of, of Christ. I knew what it was like to be deceived by the evil one. To choose the wrong door. And when I walked through the door that is Christ, everything became new to me. And I wanted to share that with everyone around me. But then life continues to go on. And sometimes the further we get from that moment of of recommitting our lives to Christ or accepting Lord to be our uh, Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, it dries up and we stop talking about it and we stop sharing it. And I don't think it's because we've stopped believing that Jesus is the only way. But I think sometimes we believe a lie that God won't use our story to share to change other people's lives. Or I think sometimes we believe the lie that this is awkward, and, and well, maybe it is awkward, but we believe the lie that God won't use it. That God won't use our story. You know what? I've known this guy for so many years. God's not going to change his heart. Do we realize what we're really saying when we say things like that? Without, without maybe being intentional about it, what we're saying is, clearly I'm a better catch because God came and got me. He's not going to come get this other one. Or maybe we're saying that God in His power, in His infinite power, in His infinite mercy, doesn't have quite enough to reach this one person. It was God who removed the scales from our eyes so that we could see clearly. God is at work already in the lives of your neighbors, of your friends, of that coworker or that weird cousin. God's already at work. We need to be faithful with what God has done to us. We need to ask God, God, give me that energy I had before Give me that vigor that I had before. Give me that excitement that I had before about what you've done in my life so that I can again go out and be fruitful in your your kingdom. So that I can go out again with excitement, not worrying so much about how it's going to feel awkward. Not worrying so much about even severing a temporary relationship because of the eternal truth that God has entrusted us to go and to share. This whole message is simple. This is the Gospel. That's what really this message is. That I am the door. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's the good news of Jesus. It's the good news that He has come and that He has sacrificed so that we might have a relationship with Him. I understand many of you have been Christians for decades and this is Christianity 101. But once again, I want to call us to stepping into this fresh and stepping in this new. Because God is still gracious towards us. It didn't just stop at our salvation. And by the way, He's not done winning people to Him when we get saved. I've heard people say this before and I believe it. If God didn't have a plan for you to share your story, He could have just raptured you as soon as you, as soon as you accepted Him. But He has left us here. Why? It's not because He doesn't love us. It's because He loves those around us that don't, know, that no, don't yet know Him. Not only is it available to all to go through this door, but the price for admission has already been paid and it was a very high price to be paid. That's our last point this morning is this. Access through this door comes at a great price. Jesus said, I am the door and it's through that door that we have hope of salvation. But there was a price of admission that had to be paid and it was paid for by Him. And when I think of this story, it calls to mind an Old Testament story that I think points to this one in great ways. And that's in Exodus 12, and we'll have it on our screen, or you could turn your Bible there as well, and it's the first 13 verses of Exodus 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. "'Tell all the congregation of Israel "'that on the tenth day of this month "'every man shall take a lamb "'according to their father's houses, "'a lamb for a household. "'And if the household is too small for a lamb, "'then he and his nearest neighbor "'shall take according to the number of persons, "'according to what each can eat. "'You shall make your count for the lamb. "'The lamb shall be without blemish, "'a male, a year old. "'You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, "'and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day "'of this month.' And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. God had offered this way of salvation through the blood of a lamb. He did it in the Old Testament and He did it in a complete fashion in the New. You see, it didn't really matter what kind of people were in the house just so long as their house was covered by the blood of the lamb. It wasn't because the people in there were so fantastic of people. It says nothing about the kind of people they were. The Bible says they were to take this this hyssop branch and they were to dip it in the blood of the lamb, the freshly killed lamb, and put it around their door. And as they did that, they would be saved from this plague that was about to take place. Fast forward to the time of Jesus, the Lamb of God going through His door when He says, I am the door. It's Him that provides the blood of the Lamb to protect us, to keep us safe, to give us salvation. The blood of the Lamb in the Old Testament brought salvation on that day to every house that it was around. Today, the blood of the Lamb gives us salvation. That's what the blood of the Lamb is. Now I'm afraid, again, when I started this sermon talking about the imagery... That's given to us uh, in the New Testament. And we talked about that. I am the door to the sheep. And many of us really wouldn't know what that means. Other than obviously sheep come and go. But it really wouldn't give us a great image of what was being said. Well in the same way as we talk about the blood of the lamb. I'm afraid it doesn't conjure up the same kind of imagery as it would have for the people who first heard this. You see, we, we think of the lamb and we have this almost cartoonish character or this beautiful little all-white pretty lamb that um, is just bah, you know, it's just cute. But when we hear of the Lamb of God, there's a different image that it should conjure up in us. and it's, it's an image that is not a pleasant one. We have become so separated from even the food that we eat. We go to the grocery store and we get a little package of meat. And we forget about the violence of death. See, the image here, I'm going to spare you. I'm not going to go into great detail. Having slaughtered animals. But the image that should come is one of violence, of blood, of an animal losing its life. That's no small thing, it's something that's really serious. And if you've been there, when this has happened and taken place, and the image that comes to mind, that's the image that should come to mind. When we hear the Lamb of God, what we should be thinking about, the image that we should be called to, is a terrible scene of blood and death and sacrifice. And it's through that door... It's through the blood on that door that we can step into salvation. And I want to remind you, it wasn't our blood, even though it should have been. But it was the blood of the Son of God that has given us the opportunity to have salvation. The blood of a lamb who has died and taken away the sin of the world. But not just a lamb, a returning and conquering king. Because he has beaten death. He has beaten sin. And He has given us that same victory and that same opportunity. Not by our blood, not by our sacrifice, not by our beaten bodies, but by His, the blood of the Lamb. As we close, I'm going to ask the band to come forward. We're going to do another song. But before we do, I just have a a couple of quick challenges through questions. The first one is this. Have you entered through the narrow gate? Have you entered through the door that is Jesus? Is Jesus the Son of God your Lord and Savior? If not, I'm just going to challenge you to be asking God to give you eyes to see. Think about your own heart. Just reflect on your own life and and confess that you are a sinner as well in the need of salvation. I'm going to challenge you to accept Jesus, the Lamb of God, to not just be your Savior, but also to be your Lord, the one you are surrendered to. It is worth it. Finally, I accept you to tell somebody who's going to help you to grow. Follower of Jesus, people who have already walked through that door, hallelujah, celebrate the fact that you have walked through that door. Celebrate the fact that the Lamb of God, the blood from the Lamb of God has saved you and saved me from our sins. And it's through that door through which we have salvation. We need to be celebrating that God the Father has removed the scales from our eyes. And we need to keep that in mind as we're dealing with people who are far from God. And may He give us a heart to reach them. May He give us a heart to remember the story that He has given us. That this isn't just good news, but it's the best news we could possibly have. Would you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank You for these simple but profound truths that You are reminding, us of, reminding of us today. That you are the only way. There are several other ways. There are counterfeit gods. We, we, we have a tricky enemy seeking us to get a, to, to, to trick us to not following you. But God, you have defeated that enemy. You have the ability to take the blinders from our eyes so that we can see you and see your spiritual truths. God, I pray for the believers in the room that you would help us to. Be passionate about telling our stories once again. Remembering that this isn't because we're so good, we're so smart, or whatever else it might be, but it's because of you and your sacrifice, that despite the fact that we are slaves to our sins, that you've offered us freedom in you. God, may we tell that story with power of your Holy Spirit and with courage. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.